Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is a Monday Minute episode, which are meant to be shorter and more informal episodes, primarily to answer your listener questions. We are going to answer some listener questions today, but they revolve directly around a mountain goat hunt that I was able to go on this past fall. We've talked about that goat hunt in previous episodes, and I'll leave a link to those episodes in the show description. But the reason we're talking about this hunt again today is that we actually just released a film from this hunt. So you can actually go see the hunt itself and kind of watch everything go down. Um, It was truly a a crazy experience for me personally, uh, something that was kind of a dream fulfilled. But as you'll see and hear about, it included a lot of ups and downs and kind of unexpected aspects of the hunt itself. Today in the podcast, I'm joined by my friend and my guide for this mountain goat hunt, Mark Rowanhurst of Alaska Limitless Guiding, and I wanted to get him back on the show to help provide some extra perspective to the questions uh, that came up today that relate to this hunt and about hunting goats and Alaska. So we go through some listener questions. We do talk a little bit more about the hunt and the film and some of what we've just thought since this hunt happened uh, quite a few months ago. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you do want to see the film of this hunt, uh, just go to exomountaingear.com forward slash goat, or there will be a link in the show description. And on that page, you can watch the hunt. You can get my gear list from that hunt. You can see some more photos and just have more information. So if this is something that you guys enjoy and benefit from uh, and would like to see us do more of in terms of films, then let us know. It would be helpful if you could maybe leave a comment on the YouTube video. You can always send an email to us directly, but we haven't really done many hunting films at all through XO and we don't want to turn into a company that focuses heavily on hunting films, but we have considered, you know, a film or two each year. If you guys enjoy this and want to see more, then let us know. Right now, though, let's dive into this conversation with my friend and again, the guide from this hunt, Mark Rowanhorst. Mark, welcome uh, back to the podcast, man. How are you? I'm doing good. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's uh, it's fun to have this reason to have you back to kind of relive this goat hunt a little bit and answer some listener questions. Uh, I'm curious to start here. What when you think of our hunt? I'm not saying like your favorite memory or anything like that, but like what <laughs> what's the first thing that comes to mind when you just think of our hunt? If it's like a random day and you're like, oh, that hunt, that hunt with Mark. Where does your mind go? <laughs> uh, that could go a lot of different directions, but I, I think the first thing off, off the top of my head would be that it was just really enjoyable um, with the guys, the group that we were hunting with, um, with you, Tyler and Justin. Um, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And right behind it is that it was unscripted. It did not, did not go... <laughs> uh, according to plan, at least not what I had drawn up in my head. That's hunting, man. When does it ever go to plan? (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. That's for sure. 
It's funny. I was uh, talking with Tyler just the other day and he was saying how one of his favorite memories for that whole thing was that boat ride that we did when we bailed off the mountain after a couple of days in that first spot, we got down to the water uh, past dark and then had, what is that? Probably a couple miles across the lake or something like that. And we were just by headlamp. Yeah. I think it's close to three, is three really? miles. And yeah, yeah, that's definitely the first time I've navigated a boat in the dark. <laughs> uh, subpar lighting for sure was was an issue and realizing that water doesn't uh, reflect light back to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was interesting for sure. You guys said you enjoyed it. I'm not sure I enjoyed it quite as much. Well, I enjoyed it, but I, didn't ha- I wasn't the guy with like, you know, driving and liability and stuff like that. I'm along for the ride. all right all right it would have been tougher to be you and navigate you know but it was cool i could tell that not only the boat ride but just you know as it got dark or was getting dark that puts you in a tough spot like as again like having liability and i don't mean that legally but just like you as the guide with clients and taking people out like it was pretty steep country to come down and then as it got dark i mean there was definitely some spots that were a little bit you know cliffy and potentially dangerous so i don't envy you having uh quote-unquote responsibility in that moment (laughs) yeah yeah that certainly is probably the more stressful part of the job um just being responsible for making those ultimate decisions and i mean certainly with with that group we had everybody's pretty highly experienced and And a lot of the decisions were kind of, they were team decisions, you know, it's not like I'm just calling shots, but ultimately um, the final decision comes to me, which, um, which is good. It should um, have more experience in that country, but, but it can be a little bit stressful. And like I mentioned several times, I don't like coming down in the dark, especially new places. Um, driving a boat in the dark was a new one. I probably would avoid that <laughs> if I at all can uh, next time, but ultimately it worked out and, and that's kind of the spirit of adventure and definitely don't, uh, don't like canned hunts anyways. So it's funny just think about now. So like, as we are talking about this and we'll talk about the goat hunt and to get, get into some Q and a, but it's obviously timed, as I mentioned in the intro with the film coming out, and I, I mean, I did, again, we didn't plan this. We're just chatting, but everything we've talked about thus far as terms of like these memories that we have and some of the stuff that sticks out to us from the hunt, none of that is shown or even really talked about in the film. Uh, and it just like, that was one thing that was new to me as I've been on group hunts that were filmed, but I've never had like quote unquote, my hunt filmed. And it's really, um, I mean, Justin did a phenomenal, like unbelievable job getting as much footage as he did, both with video and photo, and then just crushed it with editing. And I, you know, couldn't be more thankful and proud of the work he put into it. But no matter who you have or how many cameras you have or whatever, like you just don't capture the whole thing. And it's it was, it was just funny for me to look at the film, which I love, but also like know that hey, that's 35 minutes and we had, you know, eight or nine days on the mountain and something like coming off this mountain in the dark, something like 
across the lake in the dark navigating uh, simply because of one safety uh, and then two just you can't film in the dark like there's just so much stuff that wasn't captured um, even our pack out like at the very end of the hunt we ended up that was coming out in the dark and then got I don't want to say sketchy but <laughs> it was easy to get turned around in parts and it's just funny that uh, no matter what you do you just you can never fully capture a hunt without just experiencing it for yourself yeah when you try to condense nine you know nine days of 24 hours a day type of adventure you just can't condense that down without losing a lot <clears throat> um but yeah you you make a good point there there's a lot of things that that um went into it and and it's easy i always think i'm going to remember all these details and uh-huh. and i do for a while but eventually they do slip your mind um so it's kind of fun reminiscing with other the other guys that were there and um because they'll remind you of something that you forgot and vice versa so uh all right let's dive into some q a there's questions that we've gotten um i've gotten directly and that have come through the podcast and some of these you know i've answered to people directly just because they've kind of been repetitive and i've talked with guys who have mountain goat hunts upcoming um actually some of which with you or <laughs> booked with you but uh something that's always a big topic and was something i debated was going with down versus synthetic for the sleep system uh and then as i've said i did use synthetic for this hunt and essentially one of the questions that came through was now having done this hunt which is again just a case of one uh, was I glad that I went with a synthetic sleeping bag and could I got could I have gotten away with a down bag? Um, so yeah, I, th- I mean, Tyler, I think both Tyler and Justin had down bags and did just fine in this particular hunt. Uh, I would have been fine with a down bag as well. But I think, Mark, I having just seen this country and understanding what can happen, you as a general recommendation tend to prefer synthetics fairly strongly. And I I think having seen and experienced that a little bit now, I totally get why. Um, Is, have you actually had a client had a bad experience with down or do you get most of your clients to go with synthetic? Uh, I don't think I've ever actually had an issue. Um, with down in the field specifically it's just you know the outfitter i grew up with there was always you know pretty adamant about synthetics only and in my own experience early early season hunts i have packed down especially um if the short-term weather looks pretty fair um so it's not it's not like i've never done it or would never do it situationally i i definitely would if things look right um it just to me it just makes a lot of sense it's it's a total fail safe um Mm -hmm. if the worst comes to the worst i i definitely have been in down bags that were compromised Mm -hmm. with water um but just not in critical scenarios you know and, and I know there's a pretty drastic difference in performance. I've crawled into 
synthetic bags soaked, you know, completely soaked head to toe at like that 30 to 40 degree um, weather window. And, and uh, woke up with, with the clothes I was wearing dry and the outside of the bag, you know, completely wet and the inside of the tent dripping water um, mm-hmm. feeling cozy inside. And I don't think that would be the case with down. So, so it's just, it's not like, I know I pushed you pretty hard um, towards it, but I don't, I don't make it absolutely mandatory until late season, like late October into November. That's then it's, you know, pretty, pretty mandatory. Um, <clears throat> I think I left you the option. <laughs> but, you did. <laughs> uh I, I think I was kind of curious too if you were happy in the end that you did um, pack synthetic. I know the days that we were actually out because we we kind of avoided some of the serious weather just because it seemed like like the right decision based on um, some of the things that were going on weather wise. But um, so I think, like you said, we could have been fine with down. Um, in the nights that we had on the mountain. Mm-hmm. But, but had we been out during some of those storms, um, it could have been different. Yeah. I think, um, like what you mentioned up front is like, if, right. Like if you can get away with it type thing, and that's a luxury is to have the option and choice to choose between the two, potentially, based on the weather window but obviously what's difficult for most folks coming up to do something like this is they're not going to have both options available to them and the luxury of like seeing an up-to-date weather forecast and making the decision so i do feel like synthetic is a pretty good fail safe as you said um and then i you know i was happy with uh the performance of that uh quilt overall from a lightened equipment with their apex synthetic insulation um, definitely very different to pack, but, um, yeah, I did. I liked it. I'm going to keep it and use it kind of as needed for sure. Yeah. And, and like, what would you say the weight differences from what you would have packed and down? Like it's probably less than a pound different, but a, mm, maybe double the bulk. Would yes. you say? Yeah. For me, the weight is, um, definitely not irrelevant, but it's not, it's acceptable. Um, and then, yeah, it's a hundred percent for me. It's just the packability, the bulk, not only because yes, it's bulky and then you have to use a compression sack, but because I have been so used to using down, it really just changes the entire way that I pack my bag. Um, I'm just so used to loose packing a down sleeping bag or quilt. And then like mm. putting things in around it and then letting it compress itself versus taking, you know, synthetic bag, having to get that to a compression sack. And then you just end up with this giant, you know, big ball um, and have to pack around it. So the weight right. difference was, you know, I think it came in right at seven ounces, maybe. Um, so less than half a pound, but the bulk is you know, it takes getting used to it. And it had been a, a long time since I had packed a synthetic bag. So I almost forgot what, what it was like to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We haven't actually like debriefed on that weather window and that decision to bomb off the mountain. Uh, 
how do you look back at that now? Do you think that was like a good call? Do you do you wonder like ah, I wonder what it'd been like to stay up there? How do you look back at that? Uh, I I do always wonder uh, about that, or I have wondered about that. What if what if we didn't bail off? Um, ultimately, it's it's kind of weird watching having seen a draft of the video. Um, it looks kind of funny in the video in ways yeah. maybe. Um, but thinking back to that, when we made the decision, it was like, <clears throat> it, it made sense based on the goats that we were seeing, um, the country that laid before us to, uh, to like press on and go further, mm-hmm. um, was going to be a pretty serious, a serious commitment that we didn't even know if, a lot of the country that we're looking at was going to be traversable. And then if we did and killed a goat over there, we were talking about the possibilities of going straight down to the river Valley and taking that out. But with uh, <clears throat> the way the rivers were already flooded out and then looking at um, another pretty massive um, weather system moving in, it, seem like that was probably not going to be a possibility. Um, so in hindsight, really, I don't know that I would go make a different decision. Um, Cause more than likely we would have been up there in the, in the clouds, probably not being able to hunt for two days, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other things, you know, in hindsight, we might have saved some time on that. What was it? The third day um, when we tried to go and had the mudslide delay us yeah. um, by like another solid half day. So we might have saved some time. We might have saved a day or a half day there of actually hunting. Um, but for the most part, we would have been cooped up in tents and we would have been able to say, hey, we stayed out and weathered the storm. Um but I don't, I'm not sure the hunt would have been better for it in, in the long run. Yeah. It's another, it's definitely another spot where you don't get the full picture when you watch the film. Um, and part of that is cause we weren't there to like film all of the weather that happened. Right. Like we're, um, we weren't up on the mountain to see the inches and inches of rain. And, uh, I think, you know, there was like, think 40 50 60 mile an hour winds from what i recall and all that like being reported and um we were just down back at base camp kind of hunkered down and and missing that i yeah it's interesting to me because i always consider what if right um and dude it was such cool country up there uh i think i told you then and i still feel that way now like i want to get back up there with the weather window and get to some of those goats that we saw and see if we could even get to them or what it would be like, because we were, you know, pushing the boundaries of what you had really been into. And, uh, you don't know until you know, it'd be cool to get over there. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like I mentioned, I, it was not what I dreamed up for you, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, with, with the appropriate weather, I think we definitely could have pushed on. And it would have been fun to see if we could have um, crossed and gotten to some of those goats that we got to. Um, <clears throat> yeah, 
And sitting in the tent would have been miserable for a couple of days, but sitting back at the cabin in ways was miserable as well. <laughs> I think I, it was uh, looking back <laughs> at pictures. I have pictures of you cleaning your vacuuming because you were just <laughs> like, you were twitchy with like anticipation. Um, and just, and we all were, you know, just anxious. It's, it's not what you want to do on your dream hunt is sit in a cabin, but, um, but all for the better, better. We got to see more country that we wouldn't have otherwise. And, and, uh, ultimately got to get the job done. So. All right. Diving back into, uh, some Q and a, there's a guy who wrote in, he's going on a mountain goat hunt this October, uh, kind of up in the Cordova area. And he said it is going to be a backpack style hunt. Um, he basically said he's, he's hunted the mountains and he's backpacked some gnarly country, but never done both at the same time. So he's really looking forward to it. Uh, said this will be my first hunt of this caliber and physicality. And he's spent the last few months getting some gear dialed, um, changing his training, et cetera. One of his specific questions with all that context is he has a tarp tent moment DW that he has used a lot for other hunts and he really likes it. And he was curious about that shelter specifically. Again, we're talking October Cordova area. What's your first take, Mark? Uh, My first take is Cordova takes a lot more weather even than the area where we hunt. Like they, they're, we're by the ocean, but we're like off an inlet. We're protected from that Western uh, front and that Cordova Yakutat country is not, I mean, they get significant more, more wind um, direct off the water. So for something like that, especially if you, if he planned to camp in the Alpine and he's planning to be on the mountain more than like two, three days at a time, I would look at something sturdier. Um, I When I do like two, three-day window type hunts um, and the short-term outlook it looks good, <clears throat> I'm totally good with, with doing like tarp tent style shelters. Um, but if you're planning to stay up there long-term and kind of regardless of what the weather outlook looks like, I would... I would want to look at something more on the heavy three season to four season style tent. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I do feel that for the weight, um, some of those tarp tent uh, options are pretty tough, but yeah, I mean, I was curious to hear your take on that Cordova area specifically. Um, Cause that was just knowing where that's at on a map, but me not having any personal experience being in the area that was kind of my concern is it's just essentially essentially just way more exposed. Um, and I was curious to hear what you thought about that. And then in October, so there's, again, I feel like this is very much the down versus synthetic thing. It's like, it could be great. It could be fine. Um, if you have a good weather window. And as you said, if duration is not, um, a massive, massive factor, meaning, yeah, maybe you're going to ride it out for two to three days, but you're not going to have to, quote unquote, live for 10, um, mm-hmm. you know, for me that, I mean, that's one thing that like, if you're going on a 10, 12 day hunt and 
it's a true like you're out there there's no plan b there's no bombing off the mountain except for like a true you know kind of life serious injury uh or situation then something like synthetic and something like hilleberg for shelter for example is just going to allow you to ride out come what may over the course of that 10 days and sometimes i think people overlook that too like going back to down is it's not the single exposure of like a wet day that's necessarily the threat to down but it's just when you have this 10 day hunt call it it's the exposure to moisture and sometimes that's not from the elements as you said sometimes that's from like your clothing um and just the fact that you may not get windows to let that dry out. So it's this progression of increased moisture kind of day after day after day, for example, with down that would lose to a loss in performance, not at once because of a single event, but just this accumulation of exposure over days and days. Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly a good point. All right. There's questions on, essentially me traveling home with the goat, both in terms of uh, taxidermy as well as meat. Um, and then also a question of how did it eat the goat? Uh, tackle that one first. I thought that goat was fantastic. Um, I did end up doing most all of it as ground meat um, just because I've you know heard goats can be tough and et cetera. Uh, but flavor wise, it's truly some of the best ground meat that I've had. Like, no matter what I did with it, um, whether I put it in something like a spaghetti or, I mean, I made a ton of just take the ground meat, make a burger and cook it up in a skillet. It's just delicious. Um, do you see a lot of variety, Mark? Cause obviously you've had a chance to across different goats, different seasons, different times of year. Do you see a fair amount of variety in that? A little bit. I mean, it, it does no doubt change when they're rutting and the rut where we're at is generally, um, November timeframe. So that's a late season hunt and that with that, a mature old Billy in the rut can, can definitely sour and toughen increasingly. But I mean, there's definitely, there's old goats we've shot. There's, you know, mid age type goats my cousin killed one late november a couple years ago and uh he fed it to a bunch of people um without telling them what it was and everybody was raving about it and so that was i mean that was a rutting billy but it was on the younger side it wasn't it wasn't like an old old mature billy um so yeah, goats overall in general, and they do eat really, really well. In terms of getting things home, uh, we got the meat off the mountain. Obviously, you had a freezer at base camp, uh, fish boxes. So kind of the the standard protocol of what I'm used to of flying home from Alaska with meat is just get it in a good strong box, uh, have it frozen, and fly it home as checked baggage. No big deal. Ended up doing the same thing essentially with um, Hyden Horns. Tyler uh, Boshma was going back home, which was unplanned in a different story, not seen in the film, that uh, he was essentially <laughs> pissing blood after our hunt. Um, so another big change in kind of storyline of the hunt you don't see in the film. But he was going back to Montana, which is where I was having uh, my goat taken care of, was at Monarch Taxidermy, and he was right there. So he actually ended up flying home um with it so it was super simple um yeah there's not too much to say there other than the meat was great getting it home was really really easy no big deal 
All right, this one, this one, Mark. All right, so I get this question came through, uh, and it was someone emailing me. So he said, "Hey, Mark, have you and Steve talked much to compare your Alaskan goat and sheep hunts, specifically what they have in common, what is different, and which one could be considered the quote unquote harder of the two?" Um. Steve and I haven't really had that discussion per se. Like we've talked a lot about our hunts, but we haven't tried to compare them. And I think it is tough to compare any hunt. I mean, it, it, same species, but different place, for example. But, you know, when you talk about Alaska and sheep and goats, um, at least to narrow in on my experience with goats and Steve's experience on sheep, they're obviously different species, but just a very different uh, place in Alaska. So it's, they're not, I think they're less common. Um, there's less commonalities, uh, in a way than people might think, but I was curious, Mark, like what's, what's your take? Cause you guide sheep, you guide goats. Um, not asking you to pick which one's better, tougher, whatever, but like, what are some contrasts or commonalities, uh, you think from your experience for people who had asked this question? Yeah, they certainly are drastically different. Um, I get that question a lot too. And Really, I I wouldn't say that one is easier or harder than another. Um, they're just different. The uh, I would say the physical challenge, if you say it's somewhat similar overall, it's different in that a goat a goat hunt typically you're not covering like big miles. You you measure the uh, the distance or difficulty in elevation change and just the challenge of the country um, dealing with brush and things like that. That's, that's what makes it really physically challenging. Um, Whereas on a sheep hunt, at least mine, different parts of the state are different for sheep too. Um, But you tend to cover a lot more distance mileage wise. Um, Say throughout the course of a sheep hunt, we might cover 40 or 50 miles we're on a goat hunt that's i mean that wouldn't even be possible because the terrain won't won't (laughs) allow it um so it's like yeah i've had guys on a goat hunt asking how far we've gone and i'm like well like linear distance (laughs) i don't i'm not sure we've gone a mile yet (laughs) but we've we've climbed like 2,000 feet or so and we've got 2,000 to go um, so that's, that's a major difference. It's a very different style hunt. And then time of year dictates a lot, you know, uh, sheep hunting, a vast majority of the sheep hunting in Alaska occurs in August, um, which can be overall a lot milder. Um, if you push the goat season, you can hunt goats pretty early, but you can also hunt them late and, and, uh, get a variety of of weather to deal with. And once you look at a late season goat hunt, um, every, everything is changing when you're dealing with, um, sub sub freezing temperatures and super wet climates. Um, that changes things a lot too. If you're dealing with two feet of snow on the ground and, and alders covered in snow that you're trying to surf your way through, (laughs) Yeah, so there's a lot of variety uh, in Alaska, period. And I 
honestly, I don't, I see way more differences between sheep and goat hunts than I do similarities. really. Yeah. That's my perspective, which obviously I haven't hunted sheep, but, uh, again, just knowing guys who have and what I am aware of it, it, to me, they seem way more different than, uh, I think a lot of hunters may anticipate for sure, but I guess we'll find out Mark. Cause I don't know if I've said on the podcast, but we're hunting sheep this year. Breaking <laughs> news. <laughs> I guess, I guess next year we can answer the, I can answer the question with, with better experience of how they're different. Cause I'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not too far away. It's not like man. three months out or so if that, so yeah, super, super stoked to have you back. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I was pretty shocked when you said, yep, you're in. It's <laughs> so, uh, uh, a long story for a different day and some of which we can't tell, but yeah, it was not a, not a planned thing until honestly relatively recently. And yeah, as you said, it's coming incredibly, incredibly fast. And I don't know that I, I don't know. They still like can reconcile the fact that it's happening. Uh, it feels pretty stinking wild, but as I've told you, man, I'm, I'm obviously just, you know, the thought of hunting sheep and being Alaska and all that, like that's amazing enough, but truly am man now having done the goat hunt with you and death hike and stuff like that. And getting to know you, I can't, cannot wait to get back in the field with you feels like just going hunting with a good good friend so man thanks for the opportunity yeah yeah for sure i'm sure it wasn't at all in your like short-term uh plans but the way things um just kind of fell into place it it seemed to make sense so it will it's definitely one of those hunts just like your goat hunt that the the line between uh I don't know, a guide client hunt or a guided hunt and uh, just a hunt with a buddy line gets blurred. Um, so that's always super exciting for me to look forward to. Well, thanks for joining me today, man. Oh, we'll, we'll leave that there. Um, and again, obviously more to come and I'm sure I'm going to force you to get back on the podcast to maybe before the sheep hunt or definitely after the sheep hunt. But um, yeah, for people who are curious, obviously we have uh having you been on the podcast and people asking me who i goat hunted with and all that stuff you know i know that you're uh smaller operation and limited availability and stuff like that but still um where would you point people to to like get in contact with you ask any questions potentially look at future hunts things like that uh yeah so so far still haven't launched the website <laughs> keep kicking that <laughs> down the road but um you can find a little bit about us, not super active, but on Facebook and Instagram, just Limitless Alaska Guiding. And then um, emails limitlessalaska at outlook.com. I'm excited to get up, make more memories with you. Thanks for uh, joining today. And we're going to go get after it here in a few months. For sure. Can't wait. Well, there you have it, guys. Don't forget, you can check out the link in the show description to watch the hunting film, get the gear list, and much more. Thank you guys for doing that and checking it out. And we would love to have your feedback if you have a few moments to share that with us once you get to check everything out. As always, you can reach us directly for the podcast by sending an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. If you have any questions or suggestions or anything like that, don't hesitate to share those with us. 
And finally, if you haven't yet hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app, then do that so that you receive future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.